And I wonder in eternity how uh, many souls have come to Christ even just through the message of that particular song. And uh, that really, that's how you come to the Lord. You can't, I, I can't tell you the number of times as I've witnessed to, to various uh, individuals and, and they thought they had to change their life and to make themselves worthy to come to Christ. No, you can't. Uh, you come just as you are. You come as a sinner and uh, he's the one who changes uh, a life. And uh, what a message in song that uh, God has used through the years uh, that, uh, that particular message. Psalm 139, if you're able to stand with me, I uh, ask you to, to stand. Let's go to the end of the, of the chapter, beginning at verse number 17 tonight. Verse number 17. And as, uh, as David is wrapping up the thoughts of, of this psalm and just looking at uh, God's infinite power uh, displayed in his own life, he comes to this thought, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked. O God, depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. Am, not, am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, those last uh, two verses have, um, have been a prayer that many have prayed, leading to personal revival in hearts and in lives. And uh, just as we heard the message of that song, Just As I Am, I believe in eternity a multitude have come to know Christ and been challenged by that message in song. But there have been many Christians that have been challenged by these verses that we just read and have come in repentance and faith uh, to a revival, to a renewal in their personal Christian life. And uh, what powerful message I've often prayed these very uh, words in my, own, in my own life and just ask the Lord to search me, to know my heart. And I believe that ought to be at the heart and the attitude with which we approach the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in, in prayer. And would you ask here tonight that God would just have his way in your heart and in this service tonight. Father, we thank you. It's so good to be here tonight. And, and Lord, again, as we open up this particular psalm and uh, just ask you to help us and to lead us and what deep truths uh, just beyond our explanation here tonight. And as we meditate upon you and meditate upon who you are and your infinite holy power, and God, we are, are humbled before you just to recognize that uh, though you're great and mighty and high above us, yet you love us, and you commended your love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, you shed your blood, and Lord, I pray here tonight to just open our hearts, our understanding, again, help us to be good listeners, but uh, more than anything, doers of the word to put in application that which you give to us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated here uh, this evening. And uh, I just uh, take a, a quick moment of time to review some of the thoughts from this morning. Uh, if you go look back to Psalm 139 and verse number one, uh, David said, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. And that's a wonderful thought uh, that God knows all about you. And we saw in the first part of this chapter, God's omniscience. He's all knowing. There's nothing hidden from God. Uh, he knows my actions. He knows my thoughts afar so off, even before I think them. 
He knows my directions. And I heard uh, Brother Ho, you prayed this morning afterwards. And what a great application of this thought uh, that God knew Abraham, that he would command his children and his household after him. God knows the paths and the directions of your life. And he knows the choices that you make and the end result of those choices. Uh, he knows your words, every word that you speak. He knows it even before you speak it. And there are no secrets hidden from God. That's the principle that uh, David comes to the conclusion. Uh, you can picture your house or your, your life tonight as a large house with many rooms. And uh, there's a, a living room and a kitchen and there are many bedrooms and several bathrooms in this house. And uh, there are closets and there are cabinets in the house. And if that's your house, if that's your life, and God knows every corner of the house, he knows every cabinet, he knows every uh, detail of every item in every room of the house, and he even knows all of the dust on the floor of the house. He knows every single speck of dust, and he knows it all. There's nothing hidden from God. And so David concludes uh, this thought of God's omniscience in verse number 6, and he says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Uh, he said, It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Just this thought tonight, it's, it's mind-boggling uh, that God knows everything. And this is, uh, we, we really need, as we meditate upon God, uh, to come to this realization uh, that you're, you're not going to hide from God. You know, God knows all about you, every detail of your life. And God is omniscient. And then we saw in the next section that God is omnipresent. That means He's everywhere present. I can't escape God, I can't run from God, I can't hide from God. Uh, he's where I am. Uh, he's everywhere present. He sees me even in the darkest days of my life. And here's David writing this. David had faced many, many a dark day. Uh, he fled for his life from King Saul. There were times David fled into a cave. And in the midst of that cave, there was God there in his presence. David couldn't run from God, couldn't hide from God. And, and when David was hiding from King Saul, uh, God was there with him. And God protected him and put a hedge about him. And there's God's omniscience and omnipresence. Uh, then God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. And we saw this in verses 13 through 16. Uh, each of our lives is a testimony of God's power. You are a miracle. Uh, just uh, I, You can't look at yourself and deny that there is a God. Uh, you cannot look at the miracle of your life and who you are, the, uh, just the magnificent wonder of life itself and, and human life in particular made in the image of God. Uh, you're made by God, you're made for God and each individual is unique before God. Uh, here in this psalm, uh, DNA is mentioned. God wrote your members in secret, every part of your life and your being. Uh, God penned it there and God put this in his word even before scientists figured out what DNA was all about. Now what we want to do tonight is, is take this, this thought uh, of God's omnipotent power, his omnipresence in your life, his omniscience, the fact that he knows everything, and what should be my response to this infinite power? How should I respond to God? I, I think the more we understand about God, the more we realize who He is, of course, we will never comprehend Him. 
His ways are so much higher than our ways. He's, he's infinite and we are finite and He's holy and we're sinful. And, but the more we understand about God, the more it should draw us into a relationship with Him. Now, I want to give some thoughts tonight. How should I respond when I see who God is? Number one, I should respond with a humble heart to God. And I think this is, is revealed in this particular psalm. Again, look with me in verse number 5. Uh, David said, Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Now, when we think about God's omniscience and God's omnipresence, uh, uh, God is behind us and before us and above us and knows all about us. And he said in verse number 6, as we read a moment ago, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Uh, this very thought of God and His relationship in our life should lead us to the state of humility. And I've heard the definition of humility. It's understanding who God is. He's holy. He's infinite. He's all-powerful. And understanding who we are, we are sinful. We are finite. Uh, we are weak. Uh, God is perfect and holy we're finite and weak. It's understanding who God is and who we are and never getting the two mixed up. Uh, understanding God leads us to this place and this state of humility. Uh, considering God's infinite knowledge, His infinite power ought to cause me to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ as we heard this morning in song. Uh, ought to cause me to be in awe of God. I think that's what David is, is expressing. Uh, when I understood this, such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's high. He says, I cannot attain unto it. It's, it's beyond my comprehension. I'm in awe of who God is. I'm in awe of what God knows. I'm in awe of the fact that I cannot escape God. I'm in awe of the fact that God has made me fearfully and wonderfully and uh, He's created me. It leads to this place of humility. Or to cause us to come before Him and adore Him and worship Him and surrender to Him. Now, I want you to keep your place here in Psalm 139. Go with me to the New Testament, to the book of James, chapter number 4. And I think this sums up uh, really this thought of humility as we look at it in relationship to God and who He is. In James chapter 4 and verse number 6, James 4 and verse number 6, and it reads for us, He giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. I don't know how we can be proud when we understand who God is. I don't know how we can be filled with pride when we understand that God knows my thoughts. Uh, that'll humble you real quickly. And I don't know how we can be proud when we understand that God sees me everywhere I go and He knows my words and my actions and that I cannot escape God. He said, He giveth more grace. He, he resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. And because of who God is, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. 
Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Now think about this tonight. God knows every thought before you think it. What if we were to play on a screen tonight every thought that you had over the last week? Boy, would you be proud of that? I don't think so. What if we were to record every word that you spoke this past week? What if we were to report everything on the screen that you've done in the privacy or the secrecy of your heart and life this past week? Uh, that ought to humble us, shouldn't it? As we understand this holy, infinite God in comparison to us and what to bring us to this place uh, spoken of in James to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Uh, ought to bring us to this place of humility, a humble heart. Now go back with me to Psalm 139. Not only should this thought of God lead me to a humble heart, but it ought to bring me to this place of a grateful heart. I think this is the heart of David. You'll notice again verse 14. As David is understanding and comprehending how special he is before God. He says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you see the gratefulness of David? Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. I can be grateful for the gift of life. God thought of each of us before we were ever born. To Jeremiah, we quoted that this morning. God said, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Uh, David goes on to express, Lord, you, you made me, you gave me the gift of life, and I can be grateful for that gift of life. I will praise you, he says, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I can be grateful as I consider this for God's plans for me. See, God has a race for each of us to run. Uh, he prepared each of us for that race, for that purpose. You are unique. There is nobody else in all the world that is like you. Uh, there's nobody that has your background and your place and time, and uh, nobody has all of the details of your life. God made you, and he made you special, and he made you for his plan and his purpose for your life. See, our lives will only truly be fulfilled as we live those lives within his plan and purpose for our lives. I can be grateful for God's plan for me. Uh, I can be grateful for those things that God chose for my life over which I have no control. Uh, we call them God's unchangeables for our lives. God chose your parents. We've mentioned these this morning. You had no choice. You didn't choose before you were born. I, I want this to be my dad and I want this to be my mom. No, God uh, chose that for you ahead of time and gave you the very parents that he wanted for you to have. God chose your siblings. So you say, I don't like my brother, don't like my sister. You, God chose the brother and sisters that he would give to you. God chose your birth order. And by the way, I believe your birth order is very, very important. There are some aspects of, of uh, the birth order. And, and, and I am, I'm a firstborn in my family. And uh, I have seen several 
Uh, we have different firstborns, and there are some personalities and parts that come with that. And it's God that chose uh, your birth order. Uh, God chose your race. And again, I believe we all go back to Noah. And uh, we have a day where the news media is trying to throw before us all of these tensions. If we really understood what the Word of God said, uh, uh, we all are of one blood, the Bible speaks. And uh, God chose our time in history. As we speak about Esther, God raised her up for such a time as this. And I can't think of a better time in all the history of the world that I'd rather live than this day in which we live right now. And it's God that chose you for this time and place in history. God chose your gender. We spoke about this morning only two genders, male and female. Uh, that's all that God made, uh, male and female. And uh, you can be grateful for the fact if God made you to be a male, you be the male God made you to be. If God made you to be a female, you be the female that God made you to be. And be grateful for that gender that God made you to be. We, we're living in a day, we've got men trying to be women and women trying to be men. And we've got all this confusion that comes and the Bible settles it all. If we would just come with a grateful heart for who God made us to be. Uh, we can be grateful for the physical features that God has given to us and the uh, personality that we've been blessed with. And uh, some of you are quiet and shy and that's my personality and some of you are outgoing and uh, you want to be uh, right out there and you're bubbly and uh, that's who God made you to be and God gave you a personality and uh, your mental capacity. And these are unchangeables that we can be grateful for. God made you who you are uh, for his plan for your life. And so David, as he understands this, is coming with a grateful heart to God. Uh, you'll skip to verse number 17. Verse 17, let's read these next two verses, 17 and 18. David says, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me. And I want to, uh, first of all, think about this. Our thoughts ought to be on God. Uh, he says, how precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with thee. And our thought ought to be toward God. But I think there's another aspect. And, and really the, the meaning here is David is acknowledge, acknowledging a grateful heart for God's thoughts and God's goodness toward him. You see, God's got you on his mind. You realize that. God thinks of you. God knows you, and he, you are on his heart, and you are on his mind, and you're special to him. Let me, let me show this to you and in relation to Israel. Go to Jeremiah chapter 29. I remember years ago uh, memorizing this and was just so special to me at a time in my life. In Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, of course, he's relating this to his people Israel. And to this nation, but what an application to our lives when we understand this. In verse number 10, Jeremiah 29. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. That's an amazing prophecy. Jeremiah penned before Israel was even taken captive. And he said, you're going to be there 70 years. And we can look back in history and see the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jeremiah was looking forward uh, before the prophecy fulfilled. And exactly as Jeremiah prophesied, Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 understood the prophecy that Jeremiah had given. 
uh, at the end of that prophecy when God was going to deliver them. But notice in verse number 11, and this relates to Psalm 139, what David is expressing. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then he says of his nation, then shall they call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken to you. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity and gather you from all the nations, from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. And so here David, back in Psalm 139, acknowledges with a grateful heart the thoughts and goodness of God toward him. Now, all of God's attributes... Uh, worked together for David's good. When you understand this psalm, uh, in the omniscience of God, God watched over David for good. In Psalm 139, verse number 5, David says, Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. And in the omniscience of God, God had protected David in verse number 11, and said, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness, the light, are both alike to me, or, or to thee. And see, God had been with David, even as his dark hour, when we spoke this morning. And, and when David couldn't see uh, where he was going, and David couldn't understand what the future would hold, uh, God lighted his way, God saw him, and God was there with him, and so it is with you in your dark hour and the most difficult times of your life and those times when you can't see and those times when all hope seems to be gone that you should be saved. There's God in his omnipresence there with you in the midst of that dark hour. And so his omnipresence had protected David. Uh, the omnipotence of God had created David as we spoke for a very special task. And so here David is coming to God with a grateful heart, he acknowledged all of this. So as we understand who God is and his character, his nature, we ought to come with a humble heart. We ought to come to God with a grateful heart. Now let's look at this next section of scripture in Psalm 139. I believe understanding the nature of God should lead us to a separated heart. You see, the God who watches over his children for good is also a God that judges the lost. And that's so evident in this psalm. I, I want you, again, keep your place. Go back with me to Psalm 1. Uh, let's just read the six verses of Psalm 1 because these relate to this next section that we're going to read in Psalm 139. In Psalm 1, it reads, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruits in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But notice the next statement, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners 
and the congregation of the righteous. And then notice verse number 6, he sums this up. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now that is so clearly set forth for us in Psalm 139. God tells us in First John, or John chapter 3, verse number 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In John 3, verse number 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But he says, The wrath of God abideth on him. Every soul without the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible speaks that God's wrath already abides on him. Years ago, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon, and it became very famous, and it was a, really a catalyst for revival and the first great awakening in America. And it was known, and the sermon was entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he spoke of a lost world that would hang by a thread over the very pits of hell. And once that thread was severed, once that thread was cut, that soul would fall and be delivered into hell. God's wrath without Jesus Christ already rests and abides upon a lost soul. And I believe as we go back to Psalm 139, that helps us to understand uh, God will reward the saved beyond their comprehension, for eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God had prepared for them that love him. Uh, those that have known Jesus Christ, I, I can't, we can't comprehend, we can't explain. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you in heaven, as we read in Revelation 21 and 22. It's a place where there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death and all in the hands of God. What a beautiful, beautiful place and home it will be. God will reward the saved beyond their comprehension. But God will pour his wrath upon those that are without Jesus Christ. Hell is a very real place. I want you to go to Psalm 139 again. Let's read this next section beginning at verse number 19. And it reads, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God, Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly. Thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Now, let's give a little understanding to this. Uh, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. I believe tonight that God loves the sinner very deeply. I believe he proved that by dying upon the cross. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And friends, I got news for you. Every single one of us is dead in trespasses and sins without Jesus Christ. And, and the Lord loved the lost. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And God so loved the world. And that's every man and every woman and every boy and every girl. The love of the Lord is very deep. But God hates sin. And God must judge sin. And as a result, God must judge the sinner. He's holy and perfect in every capacity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 14, God's speaking to his children. 
He says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And notice this thought. Wherefore, come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you. I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. See, that's David's expression here in Psalm 139. Uh, See, God hates sin, must judge sin in the life. And again, in Psalm 139, uh, David's not expressing that he's better than anyone else. He's simply saved by the grace of God. And I believe the heart of a saved person is you can no longer find joy and pleasure in those things that are displeasing to God. When you know the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend, there is a heart change. And no longer do the things of Sodom uh, please in the life. And uh, there's no joy that this world can give you. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. This world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. And so there's just a separation that comes to the hearts of one that knows Jesus Christ. Now we've talked about the pig pen. If you're saved, you've been delivered from the pig pen. And a truly saved person becomes a sheep. He's got a sheep heart and a sheep doesn't like the mud. He doesn't want to go to the mud. I think this is the expression that God is is giving to us uh, through David in Psalm 139. See, the heart, when we understand God, when we know God, uh, we want separation from the world. Illustrated Numbers chapter 16. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram rebelled against God. They rebelled against Moses. And uh, they refused to repent. And God declared judgment upon them. God said to his people, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And Moses interceded for the congregation. And then Moses pled with the congregation. And I read from Numbers 16, verse 26 and 27. He spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest they be consumed in all their sins. So they get up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side. Dathan and Abiram came out, stood in the door of their tents. And we know the story. God opened the earth, and he swallowed these men and their families and their possessions. But God delivered those that separated from amongst them. Let's uh, give another scripture to show what's happening in Psalm 139. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. You'll notice here what Paul said to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. It's Paul's writing to his preacher boy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 19. 2 Timothy 2 verse number 19. It reads, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these... He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. 
Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see, uh, God will one day judge the world, and it's evident before he does, he will remove his people. Uh, we know the story of Lot and Sodom, and before God would bring judgment upon Sodom, God would remove his people out of Sodom. Uh, take your Bible to Second Peter. We preached uh, not long ago through this passage. Go to chapter 2, Second uh, Peter. See, God in his infinite power knows those that are his, and he knows those that are lost. He knows every person by name. And by the way, there are only two kinds of people, either saved or lost. There's no in-between. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 6, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should after live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And here's the testimony. Saul was a child of God. He did not belong in Sodom. That wasn't home for him. And his soul was vexed from day to day. But notice in verse number 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the ungodly out of temptation, or the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And he goes on to describe that punishment. And so this uh, uh, heart and thought of who God is ought to lead us to a separated heart tonight, holy for the Lord. Now, again, we're saved by God's grace. And when we're saved by God's grace, the Lord gives us a new heart. And that new heart is a heart that hates sin. It's a heart, now you're going to still have your old nature. And then that old nature, uh, there's no end to what you can do when you walk in the flesh. But uh, you're not going to be happy in the world. Uh, the pig pen isn't home for you anymore. And so it ought to lead to a separated heart. Go back with me to Psalm 139. Let's wrap this up here tonight. Psalm 139. I believe this knowledge and this thought of who God is ought to lead us to a pure heart. And here's the prayer of David as he's contemplating all of this. Search me, in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When I think about this tonight, that God knows all about me, there are no secrets. He sees me always. I can't escape him. He divinely planned me. He has a purpose for me. And I really ought to come before him with this heart of David. God, you know me in a way I don't even know me. God, search me. God, you see things that I can't even see. You know all of the details. You know the directions that I'm going. You know my motives. You know every aspect of my life. Search me, O oh God. Know me. Try me. Know my thoughts. Here's the heart and the prayer of David. Lord, reveal to me anything that is contrary to you. Anything that is displeasing to you. Lord, lead me in the ways that will honor you. We read just a moment ago, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 22, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. See, this knowledge of God ought to lead me to seeking 
a pure heart. I, I want you to go with me to another psalm. And I want to close with this, Psalm 24. Psalm 24. See, I believe this kind of a heart can lead to genuine revival, to a genuine work of God. In Psalm 24, verse number 3, here the psalmist, and it's a psalm of David. In verse 3, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Who's going to rise up to the heights with God? And he answers the question, verse 4, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. It ought to be our prayer, as David said, Search me, O God, know my heart. The fact is tonight, every one of us have sinful hearts, every one of us have wicked hearts, and we stand before a holy God, and God knows the heart. We ought to come humbly before the Lord and grateful to the Lord and come just in this heart and desire of separation that God might give us a clean and a pure heart that might lead to this place and state of revival. I've quoted this often, but it was 1950, the Hebrides Revival. There were seven men that would meet night after night and week after week, and they would come before the Lord, and they were seeking for revival. And one night as these men were on their face, on their knees before the Lord, one of these men opened his Bible to Psalm 24. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? And then he said, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. He said before these men, I must ask myself, are, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? There was a conviction that came upon those men that night as they realized that before a holy God, this all-seeing, all-knowing God, as they came into the presence of God, they began to see, though they were saved, they began to see really the wickedness of their hearts and their lives. These men, as they prayed before God, the statement was, it is so much humbug for us to be meeting thus night after night, day after day, week after week, month after month, if my heart is not right with God. Lord, would you search my heart and know my heart and lead me in the way everlasting. So I believe this is the heart of revival. This is the heart that can transform. It's easy for us to see the sins of others. But God sees my sin. And God knows my heart. And God knows me. And I can't hide from God. God knows my thought, my words, my actions, my directions. I can't hide. I can't run. I can't escape. Really, what I must do is come humbly and bow before him and let him have his way with me. I want to close with that thought tonight, our heads bowed, our eyes closed here.